Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We're right in the middle of having a close look at the book of Hebrews. What does this have to say to us today? You've made the point, Colin, that it's a very Jewish book and uh, Jesus was Jewish, so that's not surprising. We're about to start chapter 7 where it talks about Melchizedek the priest, but you just want to overlap with what you were saying on Friday. Yes, I didn't really have time to explain the last few verses of chapter 6. And and just very briefly, uh, you know God has established a new covenant with us through Jesus Christ. And uh, a covenant is based around... um, an oath, something that is uh, spoken and declared by God and given as a solemn promise to his people. Now, of course, God doesn't have to do that. He doesn't He doesn't owe anything to mankind, um, but he has chosen to do that. And he's chosen to do that because he is faithful. And he knows that he will always stand by his word. And the point that... Um, that the writer to Hebrews is wanting to make is is really that it is impossible for God to lie. He is always faithful to his word. He swears by himself. He doesn't he's not like a man that swears by by someone else or something else. Uh, he knows that he will keep his word. He knows that he will honor his promises. And he has opened up the way for us through Jesus as our high priest so that we can participate even in all the blessings of heaven uh, while we're here on earth. And we, we saw earlier last week that Jesus is our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And I explained that uh, Melchizedek was the person that Abraham met. He, he, there is no sort of beginning or ending to his, his life. He's not like a human high priest. Um, and obviously, he is a type of uh, a forerunner, if you like, a manifestation of Jesus Christ to to Abraham. And so chapter 7 begins by describing, explaining all about Melchizedek. Now, uh, the, the writer to Hebrews is, is very good in making statements, realizing that his readers won't understand everything that he means by that statement, so he then explains things. Uh, you know, when you're preaching sometimes, you know that that um, you're raising questions in people's minds, so what you do then is to answer the question that you know that they're asking. And so the, the whole of the epistle to the Hebrews is, is rather like that. So let's read now from the beginning of chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of Salem, the priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, I've already sort of preempted this a little bit and explained something about this. Uh, I explained last week that um, Abraham's meeting with uh, Melchizedek 
was the time when really when the tithe was the giving of a, of the first tenth of everything to the Lord was initiated. It's got nothing to do with the law or with Moses. It, it began with Abraham's meeting with Melchizedek. Uh, it, it was to Abraham just the automatic thing to do that, you, you know, if you really know God uh, as he is, you don't argue about the tithe. You say, well, of course, God is so good and so generous. He allows me to keep 90%. He only asks for 10%, but I want to give him more than 10%. Whereas the people that don't really know him and love him and understand him even quibble about giving 10%, um, which is very sad because, of course, if we honor God with our finances, then God will will honor us in our finances. So just just a, just a word on tithing. It's, it's not a legalistic requirement. It, it's a pattern that was set before the law was given. Yeah, it, it, it's, if you like, an automatic response to understanding who God is. Uh, that's, I think, is the best way to put it. Now, this, this Melchizedek is called king of righteousness. Well, of course, Jesus is the king of righteousness, which is why we can say Melchizedek is a type of, of Jesus. Uh, he is king of Salem, which means king of peace. Uh, wonderful that we are the sons and daughters of the king of righteousness and of peace. So what he wants to see in our lives is the outworking of that righteousness because when there is the outworking of righteousness, then there is also the enjoying of peace. The peace of God really comes into our lives through doing what he says. You know, we have peace where you, you hear uh, this phrase, make your peace with God, you know, meaning get right with God because there are things in your life that may not be right with him, that need his forgiveness. Uh, Maybe areas of, of your life that you have never really truly surrendered to him. So make peace with God. Come back into a position of real righteousness in relationship to him. Now, um, he says in verse 4, the writer says in verse 4, just think how great he was, this Melchizedek. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi who became priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. Now, Abraham, of course, was this great figure, you know, all, all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament, Abraham is really regarded as the father of faith. Uh, we are all sons of Abraham in that way, the sons of faith. And yet Abraham, you see, realized this Melchizedek was so much greater that not only did he give him the tenth, but the greater Melchizedek blessed the lesser Abraham. So in other words, the writer is saying Melchizedek was so much greater than Abraham. Now, you know, when we've been going through some of the Gospels, we've seen the controversies that Jesus often had with the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. And... um, uh, What really underlies those controversies was the refusal of the Pharisees and the other leaders to acknowledge the greatness of who Jesus was. And 
Jesus was really saying to them, if you understand, if you believed in the one who sent me, if you really believed, if you knew God, if you knew him, then you would receive me and you would accept me and you would understand that he is the one who sent me, that if, if you believe the Father, you would believe the Son also. Uh, and there's this sense of, 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 you know, God being so great and, and the, the greater blessing the lesser. And the whole life of Jesus was a life of blessing. He was blessing the people. He was forgiving them. He was giving them new life. He was healing them. He was delivering them from demonic powers. He was raising the dead. He was doing all these things. And these, all these blessings just demonstrated the greatness and the reality of who he is. So did Melchizedek bless Abraham because he gave? Or did Abraham give to get a blessing? And what should be our response to this giving and receiving a blessing? No, I think both things are natural. Uh, the, the, there isn't law involved here, but Abraham gave because he understood that he'd had a manifestation of God. Really, he'd had a meeting with God. And therefore, his natural response was to give to him this offering. Whereas Melchizedek's natural response was to bless Abraham. And, of course, Jesus teaches the measure you give is the measure you get back. Uh, that as we give to the Lord, so he gives back to us, good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over. What God gives to us is always infinitely more than what we give to him. But our motivation has to be right. Uh, the motivation has to be right. Um, but even, uh, you know, I, uh, I sometimes say to people, why all over the world is so much of the world's worth, uh, wealth in the hands of Jewish people? And I say it's because they believe in the principle of tithing. And you'll find many wealthy Jews pour in great wealth into the nation of Israel, even though they never go there, even though they don't live there. And uh, whether they realize it or not, you see, they're actually um, employing, they're, they're, they're doing, they're obeying, uh, a cardinal spiritual principle. And so they prosper in their finances because they have been faithful in giving. Uh, so I believe the same thing applies, obviously, to Christians because we're talking about the same God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but you're right in saying we don't give in order to get back but we give because of who he is to whom we give, because of our understanding of the greatness of God. And, but we also give because we know that that, that tithe, that first tenth, is his claim upon us. It's, um, you know, it's almost the evidence of whether we really love, honor, and respect him in the way that uh, he wants us to. But his desire all the time is to bless and bless and bless and bless. And there are many people listening who have received the grace of God, blessing of God, healing of God, and they don't tithe. Um, so, you know, God doesn't say, well, I'll wait until you tithe before I bless you. No, God's, God is so full of love, so full of grace and mercy, his blessings are being poured out upon all who believe. But, you know, Giving just makes it that much easier for you to receive all that God wants to pour into your life. 
You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 